so they said, the great old ones who lived ages before there were any men, and who came to the young world at the same Welcome everyone to another episode of the Great Old Ones Gaming Podcast. I'm joined with Vase Odin of the Twisted Tentacle Inn, and today we're going to be doing another operation review for Delta Green, the role-playing game. Today's operation, Lover in the Ice, is a rehashing of the original scenario of the same title uh, written by Caleb Stokes back in, I think it was early 2000s, 2001, Vase, is that yeah, correct? Yeah, I think it was 2001, 2002. Yeah, forgive us if we uh, don't exactly remember. I could actually pull it up and actually do my due diligence here. And while he's looking that up, um, this one was uh, was redone for the new Delta Green. Originally, it was written for the, the previous version of Delta Green, and uh, they've updated a lot of the aspects of the scenario, and they've added new artwork by Dennis Detwiller, which is always a treat. Uh, the scenario is set in LaFontaine, Missouri, during a massive snowstorm in January. The year in the scenario, it's not specified, and the scenario tells you it doesn't really matter what the year is. It doesn't really impact the story at all, as long as it's in you know fairly modern times. The basic premise is that a massive snowstorm has caused major destruction in the town and caused damage to a storage unit that just so happens to be a green box. And for those of you who don't know what a green box is, uh, why don't you tell them what that is, Nate? So a green box is a um, it's a collection of Delta Green artifacts that have been essentially stashed away. So they they hire friendlies on the false premise of being CIA CIA. Uh, what's the word I'm looking for here? CIA cover-ups? friendlies, I guess, or just yeah. Uh, um, they're basically CIA assets that that kind of watch over these assets and uh, documents, but aren't aware of their true nature. Yeah, so basically, agents from back when Delta Green, um, when they were not, when they had fallen, so after the fall of Delta Green in the 60s, Delta Green went underground, and a lot of their operations, they would discover these unnatural items and, you know, unnatural things uh, that that could potentially cause incursions, and they would store them in these green boxes all over the country. So Delta Green has kind of a file or files documenting where these green boxes are. They've numbered them, labeled them, inventoried the stuff. But because Delta Green had a restructuring in the 2000s or the late 90s, uh, was it the late 90s? I'm pretty sure it said the late 90s. Yeah, the, the restructuring was in the late 90s. and So they they kind of lost a lot of stuff because the government restructured it. So basically a lot of their records kind of fell to the wayside. And this particular green box is one of those that kind of fell to the green, uh, to the wayside. So Delta Green really doesn't know what's in the green box. They just know that it's a bunch of stuff. Some green boxes hold weapons and, you know, supplies for agents, but they also hold unnatural stuff where, where the agents will store it for future, you know, whatever destruction or whatever they need to be done with. Um, but in this case, this green box... Uh, kind of was lost with time, although there's still that friendly that's been the caretaker of the green box. During this major snowstorm, a tree fell into the storage unit, and basically there was an alarm, a silent alarm that was set, and Delta Green has been notified that something has left the, the green box. So there's been some kind of break into the green box. So the beginning of the scenario, uh, Delta Green contacts the agents and sends them in to do a couple of things. First, they need to inventory 
the green box. So find out exactly what's in it, make an inventory list of what's in there. Two, if there was a natural incursion, suppress it and make sure that it doesn't uh, cause any more damage. And number three, the friendly that was the caretaker of the box has not been able to be reached. It could be because of the snowstorm or something else. So the agents are to find this friendly and find out what happened and then deal with it as it needs to be dealt with. So um, the, that's where the adventure starts. The players are called in after all this has happened and they're given their mission or their duties. So spoiler-free thoughts, Nate. What what did you think? I really like the setup. This feels very um, spy or militaristic in its nature. Um, the agents are they're sent in under the cover of being... Um, a FEMA oversight group uh, going in with a National Guard relief convoy. And their, their cover is pretty thin. Um, and that's that's given to them as knowledge of part of their briefing. And it's I always kind of like those scenarios because it really makes the agents uh, tread lightly with their cover. Like they, they can't they can't just like go around and wave their FEMA batches and like get into everything that they want to. You know, so it really makes the players like think very critically of what they're going to do. Another thing that I what I find interesting about this scenario is is the aspect of the weather. So the snowstorm is still raging on when the agents get to the uh, get to LaFontaine, Missouri, uh, Missouri, and they they have to weather the elements, and it's a very critical uh, aspect of the scenario, which I find really interesting. Yeah, I I like that too, and I, we're going to go deeper into that when we get to the spoiler portion. My thoughts, um, I thought that. Um, this, this scenario is what I would consider a typical Delta green operation. Basically agents are hired to investigate an incursion, identify the threat and save lives at all costs. But, um, just because it's a typical scenario doesn't make it bad. Uh, in fact, I really enjoyed like reading through the, the whole thing. It has a great mix of investigation. It makes good use of a variety of skills that the agents might have. And it has a really creepy story that develops throughout the, throughout the, span of the scenario um and it does have enough action as well to keep everybody happy so it's got a really really nice mix of everything it's one thing i would say it's not for new players and we were just talking about this earlier but uh, probably it works best if not all the agents are new to delta green and maybe also works better if the at least a couple of the players are a little bit more experienced uh with with delta green it does have some complex parts, but it mostly plays out pretty linearly. So in a way, that's that's pretty good. But the resolution of the scenario does require some quick thinking and possibly really tight teamwork. Otherwise, it could end very, very badly. But a lot of Delta Green scenarios are like that. So um, definitely recommend a bit of experience going into this for at least a couple of the people playing it. Yeah, and I would also recommend that the handler is pretty experienced as well, as there's a lot of moving pieces in this scenario, and there's a lot of clues that the investi- uh, the agents can can uh, acquire from from scene to scene, and there can be uh, there can be a lot of jumbling around with the agents too, as it I think with most Delta Green operations, uh, the agents tend to split up a lot. And you want to make sure that you, as a handler, cater to each group and make sure that, you know, not all the players are getting bored while you spend half an hour on one agent scene and then swap to the next one. And they kind of just like are zoning out and not 
remembering what's going on. That's actually a really good point. And one thing that I was that I will be talking about a little bit further in the spoiler section. But yeah, I do 100% agree that the game master needs to read through this, make some notes, maybe make some adjustments even to make it more feasible to do that and keep everybody engaged throughout the entire play of the game. All right. Anything else that's spoiler free or should we go into the spoilers? Um... No, I, I don't think so. I think everything else I want to talk about is pretty spoiler-heavy. Yeah. yeah, this one is uh, <laughs> really dependent on spoilers, for sure. Yeah, I was just going to say that, too. Yeah, it's very it's hard to talk about the scenario without going into full spoilers. So why don't we go ahead and jump into that right now? Okay, so um, when the agents arrive, they come under the guise of female agents, as you said earlier. This means that they have limited jurisdiction and they have to tread with care and caution so as not to arouse suspicion about their true identities. At this point, the agents can decide what they want to investigate first because they start off with a couple of leads. Uh, first, the green box that's been you know, smashed into by a tree through the storm. And then the other lead is the friendly that's they've lost contact with. So they can take it in those directions, either go visit the friendly and try to find out where he is or visit the green box, inventory the contents, and then go from there. Yeah, see, it's it's. I find it funny. You mentioned earlier that the scenario is kind of linear, but I actually kind of have the same impression, uh, the opposite impression of it. That it feels very open ended. Like once once the agents get to Lafontaine, they have so many avenues that they can they can investigate. That that was kind of my initial criticism, or I guess comment about how the handler should be pretty well versed in what's going on in the scenario in order to run it properly. Just because the agents, the agents can go in so many directions. Yeah, totally. When when I said linear, I meant like the the events that play out happen in a specific order. So, uh, you know, I consider I consider when I'm when I'm planning for a scenario, I consider different sections versus a nonlinear, which things can happen at different points. You know what I mean? And but, but we'll get to that, I guess, what I mean by that. But I guess I, I can totally see what you mean by it not being like. It's not um, It's not railroad. It's definitely more sandboxy because there are different, as you get more leads, there's different places you can go to at different times, for sure, for sure. But there is a timeline of events, I think is what I meant by linear. There's a timeline of events that occur um, that, are, that are fairly like straightforward, fairly linear, and they're going to occur at those times no matter what the agents do. Um, okay, so then uh, the, the agents can, they can even split up here. So instead of picking one or the other, they can go, you know, and split up. Half the agents go to the green box, and then the other half go and try to find this friendly. So at the green box, they find a bunch of unnatural stuff. One thing I'm going to discuss more in detail uh, a bit later, because I do have a lot of thoughts about that. Uh, with the stuff, they find some notes and evidence of something that's missing from a lockbox. And meanwhile, visiting the office and home of the friendly yields some disturbing signs of sexual depravity. <laughs> I was just going to say, just disturbing is putting it lightly. Yeah. Um, let <laughs> let's, let's throw up a quick content warning here because this scenario definitely touches on some uh, pretty, pretty, pretty adult gruesome themes. and sexual stuff. Yeah. Yeah, yeah definitely. <laughs> <laughs> to say the least, even some adults <laughs> will find it just beyond disturbing. Um, so eventually the agents uncover that a creature called an amante has survived inside the green box throughout all those years that it's been in there and that the damage from the storm finally allowed it to escape. And since then it's been infecting people in kind of a horrific way using its parasitic phallus, 
uh, that turns its victims into slaves of depravity and who experience sexual arousal from witnessing and committing violence. Um, so the the name of the creature, the Amante, it's kind of a play on words in Spanish and a lot of Latin tongues, actually. Spanish, also Portuguese, where this creature is from Brazil, so it must be Portuguese. Uh, the word amante, is a, it means lover, and hence the name of the scenario, lover in the ice. But this isn't spelled the way that amante is written. So amante has no accent, but the creature's name, the amante, has an accent on the E. So the pronunciation is actually slightly different. Anyway, so the agents come face-to-face with the creature and the, and its spawn, and then it, it they ha- basically have to work very quickly if they want to prevent it from creating a disaster in the town. Yeah, because the, the Amante has wreaked havoc on on at least a few people throughout the course of the scenario that the, that the agents can encounter. One of them, spoilers, being the being the friendly of Delta Green. Yeah, it's first uh, victim in years. So um, let's get into the good, the things we like. Do you want to do that first, or should we do the neutral first? No, let's let's start with the good and then go with the bad. I think most people want to hear the good news and then of hear the bad news. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> okay, what are some things you liked about it? Um, so I like that there's a very clear objective for the agents when they when they get there. Right? They they go in, they investigate the green box, and they um, they see what happens to the to the friendly and they suppress any unnatural threats like that that's a very those are very clear objectives but how they go about those objectives is very open-ended so as a player that's you know it feels feels like you're you're not being railroaded into a particular storyline like things aren't just happening to you kind of like i guess that was kind of our criticism of px poker night was that you know the agents well, the the people at the Air Force Base are very uh, very railroaded into what happens in that scenario. But in Lover in the Ice, it's the total opposite, which I like. Yeah, very um, true. I like the the Amante. It's it's a very interesting kind of monster of the week type story. It's fucked up to say the least. What it does to people. Um, it's it's something to be feared, but it I think the operation gives plenty of opportunities for the agents to figure out what its weaknesses are and deal with it. Yeah, the um. And, and the scenario provides a threat matrix for the unnatural forces that the that the agents run into. So there's a couple of things. There's the cedar, which are the people that the, the Amante injects its phallus into their mouth. And they basically go around and infect other people. And then there's the incubus, which is a, a deceased individual that's been basically animated by the parasite. The, the information that they give you, it's pretty concise and relevant, and it provides a good amount of info about the creatures. And it's very early in the scenario. There's that, that threat matrix sheet that they give you. Very handy for the handler. They don't overload it with too much. You know, they don't oversaturate it with unnecessary information. It's just like, this is the cedar. This is the incubus. This is what they are. This is how they work. Slight background on that. End of story. You know? Yep. Yeah. Yeah, I like that too. It leaves it leaves the handler it leaves the handler a lot of options on how to how to uh, you know role play those particular uh, those particular cedars because you know they could act differently and you could have them kind of lean into like the violence or the sexual tendencies more than the other ones if that makes sense. Yeah, and um, they also give some really good information on how how to handle infecting agents, especially if they get infected fairly early. 
um, how the agents are, you know, should be acting, how, you know, some pointers for the player, if you do get to infect them, how they should be, uh, you know, handling that because they, at that point become, um, almost like, uh, secret agents. <laughs> Not what's the word I'm looking for? Not so much secret agents, but, uh, they're, they're compromised. Definitely. They're compromised. Yeah. That's it. That's it. Compromised. Um, but, but the other players really shouldn't know, or at least their agent shouldn't really know that this person's infected. But yeah, until it's like practically too late. Yeah. Uh, so why, why don't we kind of talk about what the what a cedar specifically is? You know, we we, we kind of mentioned that it's a thrall of of the Amante itself, but the the cedar itself it uh it's basically like a a giant penis like phallic thing that gets shoved into a person's throat, and then it it like puts these essentially like stingers like giant stingers and it pierces them in four locations uh, two of which are used to change the very biology of of the actual uh victim of the host yeah of the victim and then the other two are essentially there just to like provide it with sustenance it uh the the actual scenario itself goes into detail and how it affects the the psychology and the physiology of a person that's infected and essentially what happens is that they are every uh every serotonin receptor is blocked in their brains and it, it changes the way that they receive um you know that they that they receive happiness and it basically drives them to the point where any any sexual tendency can turn from like insatiable lust into grotesque violence in an instant and that anything that's infected with it also is intensely aroused by acts of physical violence. Yeah, it's special, and it gets more extreme as time passes. It's I think uh, it's this, the way they explain the cedar and how it affects the host. It's really well fleshed out. It feels, I mean, clearly it doesn't feel real in the sense of, yeah, this is <laughs> you know real creature, but it feels real in terms of. It, it certainly can happen. If there's some parasite that causes this, the explanations that are given as to the declining mental state and the increased depravity of the individual, it makes complete sense and gives it, it fleshes it out a lot more than uh, mm -hmm. some other scenarios have handled these kinds of things. Yeah, that that's a good point. Because there, there's definitely a real possibility that the, that the agents would want to, you know, do biological or anatomical studies at some point you know, I, I think that's that's another positive for the scenario too. Is that it opens a lot of cans, yeah. Uh, both with the creature itself and also with the contents of the green box, which I I think you had some criticisms of, and I kind of do too. So for me, this is actually a positive and a negative. Same. It's in the I put it in the neutral. But when when we talk about neutral, we'll get to it. Um, positives though, um, I love the setting. You mentioned it earlier. You touched on it. The massive snowstorm creates like a really dire, isolated, and helpless atmosphere. I also love that it has nothing to do with the unnatural incursion. A lot of scenarios, not necessarily Delta Green, but, you know, Call of Cthulhu or Dungeons and Dragons, um, things that are happening in the world around you are usually the cause of the unnatural incursion. But in this case, the incursion is just a result of natural forces and coincidence. And the snowstorm and its natural power even overwhelms and affects the unnatural amante, which I think leads to a more immersive feel. And, you know, as far as the creature, it's also trying to survive. So it kind of gives it that aspect where, where you really understand this thing is just desperate because it's been sitting in a box 
and managed to survive. But now it's in this snowstorm and it can't handle that kind of weather, that kind of temperature. So it's freaking out and just basically fighting for survival itself. I also like the the timeline of events. I think that's super creepy. <laughs> yeah. Oh God, yeah. It's disturbing, it's creepy. It's um it's a common thing with Delta Green scenarios where like a lot of the background and what's really going on is never really fully discovered by the agent, which is unfortunate. Because a lot of times it's some really cool stuff that happens in the background and the players really don't don't know in the same way that the handler would know. So I feel like the handler always kind of gets the full story and this scenario is kind of no exception. And I put this in the good because it's it really is what's done so well. And as things are happening, it's like, oh, my God. <laughs> mm-hmm. But um, but what I do like about the scenario, too, kind of on that note, is that it does it really does give the players the ability to find out whether or not they actually find out is up to them. But but I think this scenario more than others definitely gives the players the opportunity to actually figure out what's going on. Totally. And um, and, you know, I think handlers, um, if you're not playing like in a campaign, then at the end of the scenario, it might be a good idea to sit down with the players and do like a Q&A and explain what happened, you know, step by step, because it'll blow your players' minds and if they couldn't figure it all out. But you're right. In this one, every single thing that occurs, if they do their, their due diligence and investigate things properly, they could figure out everything as it happened, um, which, is, uh, which is definitely a, a plus for this scenario. And uh, speaking of that, uh, there's constant little reminders for handlers throughout the scenario about the weather situation. So instead of mentioning in the beginning and then kind of moving on from it, the scenario fleshes out the state of emergency throughout the entire you know length of the scenario. So there's always little things that are thrown in, little details that really give it that immersive feel that you are in this like emergent state of emergency because of this massive snowstorm. Yeah, and I like. I also liked that this scenario is very easy to interject into an ongoing campaign. So if you already have, you know, an ongoing campaign with with a group of agents, it's easy to just have them, you know, like flash forward or backward or whatever to to January when this scenario takes place and just have them run through it. Yeah. Um. So <laughs> this is the part. Um, we kind of touched on it, but um, let's get to the adult themes. Uh, so still in the good, some of my favorite Delta Green scenarios are the ones that don't shy away at all from like adult concepts and subject matter. And this is definitely full of adult themes. And what I really like is how the scenario treats the players like adults. You know, the um, the crazy adult themes in it are so overt and downright disturbing at times but the adventure doesn't apologize for any of it. I, I love that the adventure assumes maturity when dealing with these topics. It just lays them out for you and it doesn't make light of it. It doesn't make a joke of it, but it also doesn't like harp on these things. It just is. So it's really appreciated that the, the game kind of knows its audience and doesn't feel the need to protect anyone from the reality of any of the situations that are presented in it. Yeah, I would agree. And if, like, as a handler, if you thought that your players might be a little offended by it, it's easy to kind of tone it down a little bit. Yeah, to a, to mean, a degree. Yeah, to a degree. <laughs> yeah, uh, and speaking of which, uh, the adult themes, some of the art in this, oh my god. It's great. It's yeah. Oh, yeah. Horrific in a great way. <laughs> Dennis I always think, does great art, but man, this one really brings out the gross factor, right? 
Yeah, I think for me, the the piece of artwork that's right in the beginning with the the thing like going out of the dude's mouth. <laughs> oh, uh, dude, fuck that. <laughs> yeah, and how they how they describe like when when the cedars attack, they actually the the phallic thing comes out of their mouth and they just do kind of like a headbutting motion repeatedly on the victim on whoever they're attacking. And so you can just see this thing protruding from someone's mouth and kind of like a woodpecker, just pop, 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 pop. Yeah. <laughs> it's horrifying, but I love it. It's it's really like horror. It's great. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. It definitely, definitely is fucked up for sure. <laughs> um, anything else in the good? Uh, I mean, for me, I just love a good Monster of the Week story. And this is definitely... You know, definitely quality Monster of the Week style storytelling. Yeah, yeah, it really feels like that, like a like a cool creature feature. You know, like a movie that you watch, you know, at night with your girlfriend or your wife, and just some creature feature. You know, like it's it's great. It's really well done. Uh, all right, so let's get to the neutral. These are things that are good. They have some merits, but they also have some drawbacks. Uh, so that's why they're in neutral. I don't dislike them. I don't like them uh i may like some aspects of them and maybe not others and nate i think the same with you right for these i think for me what neutral means is like these are things that you'll have to kind of cater to as a handler on your specific campaign or whether or not you know your agents specifically yes and that can that can cause problems when doing prep for the scenario well put i think is how i tend to approach uh neutral aspects of a of a scenario very well put um, what, uh, okay. So what, what would you have in the neutral? Um, so I, I did praise it earlier in the, in the aspects of the good, but I think as a, as a handler, the open ended structure of how the scenario can be run can be kind of daunting because it, it really requires the handler to do a decent amount of homework for the game to run properly. Another aspect that I think is kind of neutral is the actual green box and the contents of the green box itself. Yes. There's there's quite a lot in the green box mm-hmm. that the players can can uncover and I think that the players might kind of go off on a on a tangent with the green box rather than like getting back to the actual scenario itself. Yeah. It's it's kind of a thing when you're writing any kind of investigative scenario. If you've ever actually sat down for D&D or Call of Cthulhu and written your own investigative type scenario, it's very important that when you give players certain clues, some people are going to harp on one particular thing that may not be important. Like to you, you when you wrote it, you're like, oh, they're not going to think that's important. That's good because it's not important. And you may harp on things that are important in your, when you write it, and players won't catch onto it. And when you give them a ton of stuff that is completely unrelated to their current mission, it's a huge potential for confusion. Even advanced players I've seen fall for this, like where... You know, you give them some kind of, okay, uh, let's say they're talking to, to a couple of people and trying to find a culprit for something. And one guy happens to have uh, glasses that are scratched. And just because you mentioned it, someone harps on that and they just don't let it go, right? And that's just like a, a pair of glasses that's scratched. This, this green box has a ton of stuff. They give you 10 things that players, because one of their missions is to inventory the green box. They give you... 10 things and each one is detailed like tremendously with all sorts of unnatural stuff that occurs in the moment. So for example, there's one 
where it's computer printouts. It's a big stack of computer printouts. And as players are sorting through it, crazy, unnatural things start to occur. You know, like um, there's pictures of hands. And then as, as you're, they're sorting through it, uh, they find pictures of their own hands. The agents that are looking through the pictures, their own hands are in there. Um, those kind of things. So all this stuff, it's cool. It's flavorful. But there's so much of it, and none of it has to do with the scenario that, it, you know, a lot of players are going to be like, okay, this must be a clue, you know, and they're going to harp on it. Well, that's not entirely true. The The archival documents uh, that describe Abner Lebowitz, the the author that mentions and who, who uncovered the Amante, that is actually a very relevant piece of information. Sure, sure, sure. I mean, it's not all irrelevant. But there is, yeah, to your point, there is a lot of... There's a lot of stuff going on. So the the relevant is is buried within all this stuff. Like if you briefly mention, hey, there's a bunch of stuff that's weird. Like, and then in passing, say, oh, there's like notes where you touch them, and then they sh- they show like pictures of your own hands. You know, you mention in passing, players will know right away. Okay, this is not relevant to this investigation. Let's keep looking. But when you go so much in detail and you make it really mysterious, like okay, as you're sorting through it, this happens. What do you do? Do you have search skill? Do you have this skill? And it's like, now they start to really think this is important to the investigation, to the current, you know, scenario. And I have a big problem with it because it's it's very, very difficult. It's And it's a huge time sink on top of that because each one is so detailed. I can easily see 20 to 30 minutes or more spent on each one that the players find in the green box. And not only that too, but a lot of them actually take like a good amount of in-game time to go over too. So... So I think handlers should really take uh, take precaution when going over the contents of the green box. I think that's one thing that I would be very not apprehensive, but very wary. Yeah. To to let my players sink down into that rabbit hole. Yeah. I, I get further into it in the in the things I didn't like in this scenario, even though I'm considering this neutral. Um, and I consider it neutral because it's a lot of the stuff is really cool. Like they're seeds. So if you're running a campaign. They're great because if this adventure is part of a campaign, a lot of these can be seeds for future operations. Yeah, yeah. Right? That was one thing I asked, that I put in my positive because I I like that aspect of it. Yeah, a lot. But you know, like like we were saying, I think it can be it can be easy for the players to get sidetracked when derailed completely. Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> Which is why it's in neutral because it's really cool stuff. All of them are really interesting items. It's just. If you're running this as a one shot, it's it it can definitely have that potential. Mm. Um, for neutral, this is minor, but you know it's nitpicky. But hey, I have to mention it. There's several points in the scenario where the handler is kind of given pointers uh, on how the agents should be like acting and not acting. So, like as an example, you know they say don't mention or don't call and talk about killing monsters over an open line. Use you know language that's subterfuge or whatever. You know. Um, this is clearly not an operation for new players, so I don't think it needs to be harped on that much. I mean, briefly mention it. A lot of Delta Green scenarios mention it briefly in one thing or another, but I feel like this one mentioned it one too many times, and I feel like it gave me the impression that they're trying to help out new agents and new handlers by constantly reminding them that they got to keep things hidden, but I feel like it was too much, you know? But again, it's it's not a major, it's just kind of a nitpick because <laughs> I have nothing else. But 
Um, it's neutral because it's not so bad. It's not something that would prevent me from liking the scenario or anything like that. I just think that in future operations that are clearly meant for more advanced players or experienced players, it doesn't need to be done this much, you know? Yeah, yeah. Uh, another neutral that I have is the is the story of uh, Ryan Whitehead, the the author. Yeah, that's in the things I don't like. Oh, that's me. interesting. But go ahead. Why is it neutral for you? Well, I, I think it's... Like, I really like the backstory. I think it's really interesting, and it definitely gives a lot of context to why the Amante is there in the first place. But but to me, this is like, this is one of those things that you'd really have to kind of shoehorn into the scenario in order to get the players to actually figure it out. Unless, unless they actually get to the green box and they find the relevant documentation within it, and then they can kind of piece together what happened. But Yeah. So do you have anything else in neutral, or can I piggyback off that for my yeah why don't you go ahead and uh we'll, we'll get into the other stuff here so since you mentioned the letter right um in the green box one of the items they find is they find a box that's been opened and they find a letter very 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 long letter uh kind of a journal entry from whitehead uh who's this author from the 90s or the 80s uh i believe he he started in the 60s yeah, he was semi-famous. Yeah, he was then, like a gonzo journalist, essentially. Yeah, he got hired to go to the Amazon and do some work down there. And then he he came back. Everyone he went with down there disappeared, and he would never talk about how what happened or how they disappeared. He was even under investigation for it. And then uh, he started acting weird when he came back. He just was became kind of a recluse. Recluse? How do you say that? Yeah, recluse. He he. You know, he res- uh, he kind of resided in his home by himself. He like went into drunk ravings all the time, and he eventually like had a divorce. And he just he just basically went off the deep end at that point. Yeah. So, anyways, his his journal entries from his time in the Amazon, and this is why this is one of the things I don't like about it. Right. So they're in the green box. They're they're sifting through all the stuff that they need to inventory. And they find this open box and they find this letter. The letter is literally five pages long of small writing, a lot of writing. And it's it's a really interesting backstory of his time in the jungle, all the events that happened, how the natives were attacked by these militiamen. And everybody was running from these things that they kept calling the Amante. And clearly it's like the backstory of how this thing came to uh, where are they? Wisconsin, uh, Missouri, um, Missouri, yeah. Lafontaine, Missouri. So clearly, it's a backstory to kind of show how this thing got up there. But at the same time, it's so long. So here's my problems with it. As an experienced game master, I love giving handouts. But the minute you hand something with a lot of writing, even one paragraph, it stops. The game stops because one person's going to be reading that, right? And it takes time to read it. Now, give them five pages of this, and it's going to be a long time of them reading it. And that's if you have one copy. So you have a choice. You can either give one copy to every player, and then the whole game stops for like 20 minutes while they're reading through this. Or give it to one player, where everyone's sitting around twiddling their thumbs while this one person reads five pages. It's not like they can pass different pages to each person, because, well... <laughs> you know, everyone needs to read the first page first to then know what's in the second page to continue, the, you know? So... It, it, there's no simple way, you know, there's no simple way to do this. I think they should have narrowed it down, 
and given the bullet points of what happened down there. Oh, you by the way, you find this letter, and it's from Whitehead, and this is what he says he saw. You read through this, it's several pages long, but this is what he saw in the Amazon, and give six bullet points, and give that to the players and move on, and keep the adventure moving. But this is really going to slow down the adventure, big time. And then throw that on top of all the other contents of the green box, because this happens, they find this letter at the same time, in the same place where the, all the contents of the green box are. So now you've got this adventure where they're here to find this thing. They start finding out about this Amante, and now they have 10 things in a green box that are completely unrelated. Then you have this huge letter that they have to read that's completely unrelated. And you're talking now, at this point, one to two hours of game time that really just stops stops the adventure cold from moving forward, you know? Mm-hmm. Yeah, that's a fair criticism. Um, I think especially because they find it in the green box, they might not even think that it's important at first. Like, if you don't give this out as a handout to your players, and you kind of just say, oh, well, this is, you know, this is what it is. You find a letter detailing a, a story about a creature in the in the Amazon jungle. They might just think that it's totally irrelevant. So th- there's that they, possibility, they too. I mean, if, but I if, think there's a box where it was in that's been cracked open. So they might. I think that's what leads them to to realize that whatever was in the box. And then the part of the letter says, "Don't open the box." So I think at least there's a nudge there, you know. But you're right. They might think it's just part of more. St- once you've hit them with like two or three completely unrelated things, they might think that for sure. Yeah. Yeah. So. So that's yeah. I would I would consider that kind of a negative for me too. Just because, like you said, it it crawls. It makes the scenario come to a crawl. Because they they spend, you know, like you said, they spend a lot of time reading through it, and like it is cool backstory, but a lot of it isn't really necessary for them to find out, too. You know, exactly. And you can bullet point that stuff, like page one, right? Okay, he was in the one city, and he was with his people, and they hired these these traveling people to go with them that were like prostitutes or dancers or something to keep them entertained boom that's bullet point one like you don't need a whole page of writing for them to know that like just bullet point it give it to them tell them that this is what they found this is all the important stuff that's in the letter and and save yourself a good 20 to 30 minutes or more yeah like like i get that they uh you know like this is clearly meant to be written from the perspective of whitehead who is an author and a journalist so so you know like i like i get it from that aspect but you know like like you said i think it would just take too long for the players to yeah to go through yeah all and, of if, it. and if you make the huge mistake as a as a game master of reading it to them you've lost your players after the first paragraph they're going to glaze over and they're not listening to you to any of it <laughs> i mean some might but yeah i think by and large they're <laughs> they're going to pull out their cell phone and start doing something yeah. else which is not what you want Exactly. <laughs> so, but speaking so, of yeah. handouts, too, another criticism that I have is the the map of eighteen twenty four West Ambrosia Street. Throughout the course of the scenario, the the agents will eventually find out that two university students of La Fontaine University have become cedars, and they're they're organizing a, a dorm party to essentially annihilate a lot of the other students on the campus. And there's a point where they're probably going to go to this house and investigate. And what I what I don't like about the map is that everything is labeled. Like, there's no player version of the map. Uh, you know, like, I think D&D and Call of Cthulhu have player versions of the maps, but 
with this, you'd actually have to like go and do some photoshopping, which would be kind of uh, time. It's it's time consuming, so you have to you have to account for that. Totally, yeah, yeah. It's it's a thing. I think a few Delta Green scenarios do. There there is like Exoblivioni does provide a player version of the map in Arizona, and definitely appreciated that because then you know when we were playing it, I popped that one up on the screen, but I had my own that showed the expanded area. Perfect. You're right. Like this one showing everything where the bodies are, where everything is, it kills the investigative aspect of it. You know, the surprise, like people are going to see the map and they're going to be like, okay, I'm going to where this body is, <laughs> which is ridiculous. Like, yeah, I, I do wish there was a player version. And, you know, some people are going to say, well, it's supposed to be a theater of the mind type of game. Like Delta Green is not a minis game, but this map is not a minis map. It's just a kind of like a, a blueprint. Yeah, it's just a schematic. Yeah, a, a layout of the house so that they know where, where they need to go. And it'd be nice to have something like that to give to the players so they know which way they're going. Instead of saying, are you going to the bedroom that's to the north or to the south? You know, like, I feel like seeing a map of a house that they're in that's a contained space, It's it, it'd be nice to have that and not necessarily always have to describe that that portion of it. Yeah, and, and for me specifically, because it's a it's a pretty key point in the operation itself, so you know, so you want your players to be able to see it because a lot can go on in the house. You know, they can get attacked, they can they find a couple dead bodies. They, there's a lot of there's a lot of fucked up shit in this house. So Yeah, they find strange stuff, yeah, and you're right. They they're clearly gonna split up once they're in the house. And they might want to make notes too, you know. So Yeah, if anyone's listening from uh, from uh, Arc Dream Publishing, when you're when you guys make these scenarios and you have like a house, a layout of a house, uh, like music from a darkened room or this one, it's great if you give a GM version and a player version of, of each map. And I don't think it would take too much to just do that and put it into the book and print. Um, but it's extremely helpful for players and game masters, for sure. Another criticism that I have is, like, holy shit, the, the investigators are, goddamn, the agents can lose so much sanity. <laughs> Like like everything can cause them to lose sanity in this in this uh, operation. It's kind of nuts. It it is. But if you notice, if you pay attention, I was thinking the same thing actually that you were thinking, and then I went back and reread it, and I'm like, oh wait a minute, okay. So a lot of it is not from unnatural. So and a lot of it is like zero slash one zero slash one d four. So if they're adapted they automatically succeed, so they're not losing any. And by the time they hit the third one, chances are they would not have gone insane from it, so they would become adapted throughout the operation. But I feel like a lot of agents are adapted to one or the other, even when they start. And even if they're not, I think you're right. It it feels like a lot initially, but at least it's not all from unnatural, where they're definitely going to be losing a ton of sanity. Mm -hmm. There is a good amount from the unnatural, though. you know, like all the things from the the green box, the any encounter that they have with the creature itself. Oh yeah, the green box. Yeah, shoot. Uh, you know what? I totally forgot about the green box. I was just thinking about the scenario itself. Yeah, the the uh, <laughs> the ten things from the green box. Each one provides sanity loss. Right. Pretty much. Yeah. So so each item from the green box itself can cause uh, sanity loss from the unnatural. And another thing to kind of gripe about the about the the green box is the is the puzzle i forget what they call it the the decorative box the nonahedron dec- uh, decorative box 
That can straight yeah, up just is nine, yeet uh, nine sided. Yeah, it can straight up just yeet uh, an agent from the game entirely. <laughs> yeah, like up, oh, um, you figure it out, and whoop, you're out. See you, nerd. <laughs> which is which is really funny, <laughs> like when you're reading through it. But you know, I think you know, like we were saying earlier, I think it, agents could really like harp on these things, and they could really want to like figure out what's in the puzzle because that that they might think is the scenario itself yeah and then all of a sudden they're just gone and they're just done yeah and you're just like it's it's funny but but it does feel unfair because it's if you're a player and you spend a lot of time making this agent and fleshing out the backstory and all that or if you've been playing this agent for a long time you know you expect in games like this that you're gonna die at some point or go insane at some point but Things like this where, like you said, it, there's no rhyme or reason to it, and there's no decision that you could have made to prevent it. It's just like you're supposed to inventory the items that you find in there. And when you are when you find this puzzle box thing, I mean, yeah, maybe you shouldn't mess things that are unknown, but at the same time, you were told to inventory these things. So someone curious might just do that, and then you're done, and it, it does feel unfair. Yeah, but you know, if like a creature came in and then you fought it and then it kills you there, you know, it doesn't feel as unfair because those are the kind of things that you're expecting. But yeah, this this type of thing is is one of those things where it's got to be a, a fine balance. Yeah, yeah, and maybe handlers can like it does specifically say that the that the box is difficult to to uh to figure out. You know, it requires a decent amount of of checks in order to do it, but. I think that there would be some agents that are just stubborn and they're just going to do it anyway. Uh, so another, another, I guess, kind of gripe. Maybe it's more neutral for me, but the whole side story with uh, Deputy Eli Filigree, I think that can be kind of difficult to to play out because I think the, you know, the, the agents are sent there under the cover of FEMA. And I think that, you know, as a, as a deputy police officer, I don't know if he's going to want to, instinctively trust uh trust the agents with what he's you know what he's researching yeah yeah the the so this uh this individual is investigating the death of was it one of the transients that got killed or something yeah so um so we had mentioned uh 1824 west ambrosia street earlier so um this is essentially like it's a it's like a off off campus apartment building for students of the university and one of the one of the tenants is a national guard uh reserve uh, member and he you know he comes back to the house and finds out that two of his roommates are their cedars for the amante and he well he finds out in a very bad way <laughs> yeah he finds out in the worst way possible yeah and he flees the scene and he uh, he ends up dying of hypothermia in a unused ATM kiosk. Yeah, they wound him, but they don't infect him. Mm-hmm. They just they they try to seduce him, but he's gay, and he he initially thinks it's a joke, but then realizes that they're serious and they're trying to like have sex with him, and then they end up stabbing him, and he gets away, but then dies of hypothermia as he's trying to get away because of this snowstorm. So, uh, so I think that there could be. Like, I think that whole aspect of it could just be skipped entirely, which kind of goes into our previous gripe. Um, you know, if, like, the agents... Uh, 
if one of them just gets yeeted out of the scenario, the the operations suggest that they play this deputy, but if the agents don't know who he is, then yeah, <laughs> you know, then then I think it requires a lot of work on the handler's part to get that player back into the game, which could be it, mm-hmm. it could be a problem. Yeah, I mean, you'd basically have to resort to horror movie logic where the cop just trusts whoever yeah, <laughs> just because yeah. they're in a horror movie, even though they don't have any reason to, you know, in fact, they have probably reason to believe that these female agents are actually doing something nefarious because clearly they're hiding something. <laughs> so, so yeah, you'd have to resort to that kind of logic. And in a Delta green game, even though it's a horror game, it, to me, it doesn't cross that line of horror movie logic. Like it's still real world logic with these elements thrown in. So resorting to that type of thing, in my opinion, is a detriment to, to the game. So yeah, I can, I can totally see why, why that might be an issue, but um, that's all I have for negative. Really my biggest negative was that, uh, that letter, you know, the the journal entry thing. Yeah, Yeah. Everything else, even though it's in the negative, the things that we talked about for me, it's, it's not super major. They're just little things that maybe they could improve on. Yeah, yeah, I would agree too. Yeah. Um, yeah, I I think the the green box is cool, but it definitely leads to a lot of issues if you don't handle it properly. Yeah, it's it works best. Here's what I think: it works best in a campaign if you're playing standalone. Summarize the contents of the green box and move on. Is what I what what I would recommend. Just say, oh, there's this weird thing that does this, and don't actually play it out. Just tell them and then move on. So they know that it's not really important. It's just something they're categorizing and itemizing for part of their mission because they do have to document or um, catalog catalog the contents of the green box. So that's part of their mission, sure, but summarize it and move on and keep the adventure rolling, you know? Yep. All right. So uh, anything else? Um, I think overall, you know, I really enjoy the the story of this operation i really like the you know like we were saying earlier i like the creature feature aspect of it and there can be a lot of really cool scenes where the agents are kind of like trailing you know they're trailing this unknown creature around the city in the middle of a blizzard and they have to you know not only do they have to navigate through harsh weather but they have to figure out a way to suppress this weird being that they have no idea what it is or if even if they can see it because power throughout most of the city is gone yeah i i loved it i loved reading through this uh this is definitely up there for me as you know delta green operations overall i think are are pretty much top tier almost all of them even px poker night that we had a few issues with you know i gave it a b but most delta green operations i really like and this one's no exception it's a it's a fantastic it's a if you want to tell someone hey what's delta green about this is one of those great ones that actually shows this is your typical operation. It's great. There's a lot of horror involved. There's a lot of investigating involved. There's all these elements that that people have to use their wits to get around. Like you said, no lights, you know, the, the storm. And uh, I, I really enjoy the creature feature aspect of it, too. It's horrific. It's, you know, the, the adult themes involved with it. They pull no punches with it. So it's just straight up, you know, in your face. Yeah. But they're not doing it just for the sake of doing it. Like, it actually makes sense why those things are in there. Yeah, it feels real. It feels like there could be a parasite that does this. Mm-hmm. 
And uh, yeah, it's uh, it's great. It's great. I think overall this scenario um, is one that most players would enjoy, uh, you know, as long as you don't have issues with the adult themes presented in it. And handlers can have a great fun time running it for players and seeing their reactions as as you're revealing things to them. Uh, so yeah, overall this is this is definitely up there uh, for me. Uh, I give this. I would give this an A for sure. Yeah, I think I would give it maybe just an A minus. I think there are there are definitely some kinks you would have to iron out as a handler to make sure that it that it ran smoothly. Yes, 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 yeah. Um, but yeah, uh, overall, definitely a, a, another great scenario from Art Green Publishing for Delta Green, the role-playing game. Uh, one that uh, I look forward to running for my for my different groups that I play Delta Green with. And um, yeah, and if we if we do run one of this one uh, for the channel, then uh, we'll let you guys know because I think it'd be fun for you guys to see it all play out. Yeah, absolutely. Um, so, Lover in the Ice will be available in a soft print, uh, like saddleback style book as well. I believe it's being printed in black sites. Is that correct? Um, oh, you know, I should have looked that up. <laughs> <laughs> um, th- that's actually pretty important, but uh, it's going to be available in Drive Through RPG very soon. I think in October or November, because they've already uh, done all the editing for it. It's ready to go. So. Um, it's it's definitely going to be on softback and definitely going to be in digital. And I'm pulling up black sites right now just so I can give you guys the full story, whether it's going to be on there or not. Um, yep, it is in black sites. There it is. All right. So there's another scenario from black sites. So yeah, black sites being the hardcover that it's going to include several scenarios, including um, PX Poker Night, Ex Oblivioni, and this one and, and several others that are really cool. So. Looking forward to that. And that comes out in November. All right. Well, I think that's going to do it for this episode. I've been your host, Nate, lost in time and space, and I was joined with... Innkeeper Vase Odin from the Twisted Tentacle Inn. We will catch you all in our next review.